Sometimes when people watch movies, they like to share what they've seen with other people. Are you one of those people? You know who you are. Like you watched that movie and it was so good. It was so exciting. Or it moved you and you were crying. Guys, you know who you are. And, and you just couldn't wait to share it with somebody. So, you're, so you're, the intentions of your heart are good, right? But they're good intentions. So you go to your friend and you're like, you know, oh, this movie, let me tell you about it. And you start going over the details. And you start at the beginning, because that's where the movie started, right? And then you start working through the movie. And then you get to the middle and you're sharing about the middle of the movie. And before you know it, you're at the end and you shared the end of the movie with them too. And then you say those famous words that I, I just hate hearing. It just, you say this you've got to go see that movie. No, I don't need to see it. You just told me all about it. I, I, don't, I don't need to see it now. I mean, I, I got the picture. You know, it sounds great. I wish I, you know, wish, wish I didn't know how it ended, but thank you for doing that. How many of you are one of those people? Just, just any, anybody admit to that? Oh, there we go. There's a few. All right, all right. There we go. Um, it's funny, and if you start doing that to me, I'll just say, you can share how great the movie is. Just don't tell me how it ends. Leave, leave me that. Leave me that. So that'll be good. Um, in danger of doing that this morning, I want to recap Revelation. We're going to jump back into Revelation. We started last fall, and then at Christmas we took a break, which ended up being a break until now. That's a little break, right? Uh, a break until this Sunday. We're going to finish Revelation this fall. Uh, we got a few chapters, 15 to 22, to cover this fall. We'll do a chapter a week. Uh, and so I want to recap the storyline of Revelation thus far. It's a little bit of a whiplash, I know, to go from wisdom literature last week to apocalyptic literature this week. It requires a different set of eyes, a different kind of thinking. When you say, wisdom literature, okay, I got it. You know, you're telling me wise ways to live my life. They're not guarantees that it's going to work out well. You know, sometimes the wise person does what's wise and people don't like him and throw him out. You know, I mean, that's... But wisdom literature is if you do it this way... You're a wise person. Apocalyptic literature is like, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of symbols and visions, and all those symbols mean something, and sometimes it just tells you what the symbols mean, and sometimes it doesn't. You've got to just think about, like, okay, that's a symbol. What's it, what's it meaning? And so we're going through Revelation, and so you've got to kind of get the mindset on of, I'm not necessarily going to understand every single uh, uh, vision that we see here. I might not understand every detail of the vision, but I can understand the overarching purpose of these visions and these symbols. I can get the purpose, even if good Christians disagree on what the symbols all mean. We agree on the big stuff. And so, if you were here last fall, you know I don't major on minors. I don't try to say, this symbol means this and you're all going to agree with me. I, I, I don't do that. I don't think that's helpful for the church. Uh, I think we can agree to disagree on some of the meanings of the symbols. So, um, okay, let's recap Revelation. It's on the screens or it's in the notes. You can turn to the back side of your notes and scribble things down if you want to. But um, chapter 1 is, let's see if I can do this in two or three minutes, okay? It's got to be quick. John has a vision of the glorified Jesus, and the glorified Jesus tells John to write, Okay? All right. Revelation 2 and 3 is seven letters to seven churches from Jesus. Okay? Seven churches, seven letters from Jesus. Revelation 4 and 5 
is a scene in heaven. The throne room of heaven, John sees it. He sees the worship of the one who sits on the throne. He sees the worship of the Lamb. He sees that no one can open this scroll with the seals on it except the Lamb. That's Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 6 is when the six seals get opened up. Four horsemen ride, bringing death and plagues and destruction onto the earth. These seals are opened up. And by the end of chapter 6, it kind of sounds like the end of the world. And we could just close the book and say, the end. But he's not done yet. He's got more visions to show us. He wants to show us during these seals that are being opened, during these judgments, during these horsemen that are bringing all these terrible things, what's happening to believers during that time? Well, Revelation 7 tells you that. Revelation 7 is about 144,000 believers being sealed. Who are these believers? Well, a lot of people think they're Jewish believers during this seven-year tribulation. Other people say this is a figurative number and this stands for the church. And of course, even if you say it's the church, there's some people that say, no, the church is going to be raptured out before we get to the tribulation. These 144,000 are, are believers who come to Christ during the tribulation. Everybody else is gone. Okay? And then some people, and this is probably a little closer to me, think that the church is going to go through the tribulation and will be part of that symbolic number. But any of those opinions are excellent and well defended. Okay? But I would just say they're tribulation saints. They're tribulation saints. They're believers in Jesus Christ, whether they're Jewish or Gentile or both. They're believers. And that's the important thing here. Revelation 8 and 9, I believe. Yeah, 8 and 9. Seventh seal opens, you know, and you're like, seventh seal, that's it. But actually, after the seventh seal, it gets really quiet in heaven for about half an hour. Literally, that's what it says. Half an hour, it's silent, and, and you see the prayers of the saints being offered up during that quiet half hour, and then you hear trumpets. And the trumpets are a new series of judgments. So you get trumpets one through six blasting, and all of these judgments are coming down on the earth. Okay? Now you've got Revelation 10. Now 10, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and uh, John has a brand new vision. He sees an angel. The angel gives John a scroll and says, eat it. John eats it. It tastes sweet, but then it leaves kind of a bitter thing in his stomach. And, and, and that kind of means, yeah, your words are going to be sweet, but they're also going to be kind of hard. Write them down. Keep writing, John. Keep writing. It's kind of like he gets recommissioned. Chapter 1, Jesus says, write. Chapter 10, he gets told again, write this stuff down. Okay? Chapter 11, uh, you've got two witnesses during the tribulation that are declaring Jesus Christ, and they get persecuted by the Antichrist. They get killed. Everyone is celebrating that these two guys died, these two prophets, and then they get resurrected before the whole world. Okay? End of chapter 11, the seventh trumpet sounds, and that signals that Jesus has come to reign. Now, again, you could say, the end, close the book, but we're not done yet. We got more visions, okay? Chapter 12, uh, you've got a woman who I believe stands for Israel, fleeing the dragon who represents Satan, and then the dragon makes war on her children. He makes war on the saints, the believers in Jesus Christ. That's Revelation 12, okay? Revelation 13, we're almost there. 
You've got two beasts that are ruling the world and persecuting Christians. If you don't take the mark, you will be persecuted. You can't buy or sell. This is Revelation chapter 13. The reign of the Antichrist over the world. Okay? Revelation 14. Angels are announcing judgment over the earth. It's like they're flying over the earth and they're announcing the gospel. You better repent. You still got a chance. They're announcing judgment. And then the earth is harvested, as in with a sickle. It's just like it's done. It's just done. And again, in chapter 14, you could say, the end. But it's not the end yet. So, so what we're getting at is, John is having this series of visions. There's probably some overlap here. It's probably not sequential, even though it could be, I guess. But the way it's written, it sounds like the end, the end, the end. And yet it's not the end. There's more to be seen. There's more information about the final judgment. Enter Revelation 15, where we're at today. Would you turn there? Now that you're all caught up, isn't Revelation easy from that little recap? Isn't that easy? You should just keep that in your Bible, and then you can refer to it when you get lost there. <laughs> Here's, this is Revelation right here. Um, all right. What we're about to enter into is a time of the final judgment on earth. We've looked at the seals. We've looked at the trumpets. Now we're looking at the bowl judgments. These, bo- these bowls are going to be poured out. More on that next week. But this is like an introduction to that whole thing. Like an introduction to the final, fiery, hot judgment on earth. This is the intro. This is the prelude. Okay? Chapter 15, verse 1. John says, and by the way, these are two visions in chapter 15 that he has, but they're connected. I saw in heaven a great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. So we're heading to the end, obviously. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given to them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous. This is their song, okay? This is their song. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come to you and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Vision number two. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels the seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. All right. The key to interpreting this text and understanding what's going on here is in verse 3. They sang a song of Moses, the servant of God, 
and the Song of the Lamb. This is a chapter about worship. It's about singing to God. Now, they are praising God, these saints, these tribulation saints, these saints that have been martyred, are praising God for his marvelous deeds. Okay, great and marvelous are your deeds. And and just and true are your ways. Okay? They're saying, God, you've done a lot of things, and all those things show who you are. I mean, it's one thing to know that God is good. It's another thing to see it on display as he does good things. It's one thing to say God is righteous. It's another thing to see how his righteousness plays out in your life, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then the last verse in that one is verse 4 there, that song, Your righteous acts have been revealed. So apparently they are focused in on praising God for what he's doing. They're praising God for his deeds. We did that this morning. We praise God for his deeds. He saved us. He saved us. We praise him for that. If I was going to get a little more specific, which I think we should, they're actually praising him for his judgments. His judgments on the world. That's a little intense. That's a little more focused. I don't think most of us praise God for his judgments. And I'm not sure I'm even asking you to do that today. But it's going to be a legitimate form of worship at some point to praise God for him judging the earth. It's a legitimate form of praising God. That's hard. That's a hard word. Revelation 15 is a hard word for the church. I want to talk about worship this morning then. How we worship. And I'm not going to suggest that we start saying, thank you, God, because, you know, you're going to rain fire down from heaven and burn everything. You know, I'm not suggesting that. This is, I think this is a particular context they're worshiping in. The bowls are about to be poured out. The final judgment of, of God is happening on the earth. But we can learn from them. We can learn from them. So keep your finger in Revelation 15 and go to Exodus 15. I love it when numbers match up. It makes it so much easier. <laughs> Exodus 15. It says in, in Revelation 15, verse 3, they sang the song of Moses. That begs the question, what is the song of Moses? If that's the key for me understanding Revelation 15, I've got to know what the song of Moses is to understand it. So here we go. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Chapter 15. This is after the plagues on Egypt. You know, Israel was a slave for 400 years, right? All those people were enslaved, and Moses came and let my people go, and Pharaoh said no, and then the plagues happened on Egypt, and then the, the last plague was the, the death of the firstborn, right? All these firstborn kids are dying. If you had the blood of the lamb over your doorposts, the death angel would pass by. And so now the people of Israel have been released. They're, they're leaving Egypt, and the Egyptians changed their mind again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and so he goes after them. They cross the Red Sea on dry land. The Red Sea parts. The Egyptians go into the parted Red Sea, and then it covers the Egyptian army completely. And then they sang this song. Chapter 15, verse 1. 
Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He's my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you'll lead your people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Back to Revelation 15. I have to understand the song here by Moses' song. That's how I understand it. So, My question this morning is this, and it's in your notes. How can we praise God for his judgments? How can we praise God for fierce judgments? Moses did it back in Exodus 15. God, you judged the Egyptians, and we're praising you for it. The saints here that were killed by the Antichrist are now in heaven, and they're praising. Why? How? And I'll offer three reasons this morning why praising God for judgments is a very real possibility. And maybe we'll see some connections to our worship as well. Number one, we praise God because his judgments are redemptive. They're redemptive. That's one of the words that was in Exodus 15. You redeemed us. Redeem means to buy back, and I think the word bought was also used in that chapter. Uh, You buy us, and you also, redeem means to save. Redeem means you saved us from something bad, something negative. You brought us out of it. That's redeem. Okay? What happened with Moses and the Israelites was God had to free them from Pharaoh and enslavement. And to free them from that evil... He had to judge the evil. That's how he brought them out. He brought them out through judgment. And the people here in the tribulation, these saints that that held on to God, 
He brought them through, through judgment. He's going to judge the earth. They're in heaven now, and God's judgment is being unleashed. It's, it's good for the saints, it's bad for the people on earth that don't know God. Because they're about to know how terrifying His wrath is. Good for the saints, bad for the world. Good for the Israelites, not a good day for the Egyptians. But that's judgment. And so his judgments are redemptive. So on the one hand, a lot of us struggle with this, you know, and, and you hear people ask you this question. I hear it sometimes from people who don't believe in Christ. They say, if your God is so good, why is there this evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world if your God is good? And one of the answers you see that is right here in Revelation 15, it's this. If God showed how he felt about the evil in the world today, it would look a lot like Revelation chapter 16. It's going to be next week. It would look a lot like the bold judgments. That's how he feels about the evil happening to people today. And he's being patient. He's waiting for more people to come to him and believe in him. But if you want to see a good God deal with evil on the world, it'd be hard for us to live with it. Because one day it's coming. And that's one of the answers you could say to someone who says, evil and a good God, what's up with that? It's coming. I don't think you want it to happen today. But one day God will deal with all the evil in the world. And that means that for us believers we don't have to suffer evil ever again. Now, I know for the Christian church in America, that's not like a, it's not quite as intense a statement as it would be for Iraqi Christians. You know what I mean? Tell them, one day you will experience no more evil when God judges the world for what they're doing. And I dare say they would feel hope with that kind of a statement. You're going to stamp out all abuse all murder, all deceit, all slander. You're going to get rid of it all. And now we believers get to enter into the promised land of heaven where there's none of this garbage. It's beautiful for us. But again, it's hard for those that don't believe. And I think that's exactly what's going on here. Connection to worship. Our worship today. Sometimes worship's hard. Sometimes you don't feel like worshiping. There's days I don't feel it. But if I've been redeemed, if God has led me out of sin into his marvelous light, if Jesus came to bring light to my life and to save me and bring me out of darkness, I've got a lot to praise God for regardless of how the week went. I've got a lot to praise God for. And I wonder if some struggle with praising God because they don't really feel free from sin. I mean, these saints are praising God because they're truly free. They're truly free. No more evil they're going to suffer. The Antichrist can't touch them now. They are free. And that's an amazing thing. Maybe your worship increases 
as you see victory over sin. Which leads me to the statement here, um, how were these believers victorious? Do you remember that? They conquered the Antichrist in two ways. And there are ways that you all had to, they should be, these should be memorized for you, you know? They, they should be. They overcame the Antichrist by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Remember that? Blood of the Lamb, word of the testimony. Is that how you fight your spiritual battles today? Like, I win because Jesus won 2,000 years ago. His blood covers my sin. I win against sin because Jesus won against sin. Blood of the Lamb. I win because he won. It's done. Like we said last summer, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory's already been won. But it also says, blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony. Something Jesus did and something they did, right? Blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony. So all that saying is, they proclaim Christ. They held on to the faith. They were serious about their faith. And in fierce persecution, namely beheadings, which we're going to see in Revelation 20, that's where it's revealed how they were killed. Um, In the face of suffering, all they had to do was hang on. Stay faithful. Stay connected to the Savior. And in dying from the Antichrist, they actually beat the Antichrist. You ever thought about that? This passage says, um, where is it, you know, how they're described. I saw how they were described. Verse uh, 2, they were victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name. They didn't take the mark. How did they get victory over the Antichrist? Well, they just died. And in dying, they held on to their testimony. I'm not leaving Jesus. He is it. And so they won. That's it. Is that how you fight your battles? Hate this sin, but Jesus has died for it, and I'm holding on to him. I win. I win. I know that's simplistic. I know there could be other steps involved there. But when you boil it down, blood of the lamb, word of the testimony, you overcome. Okay. So, oh, one more thing about wrath. I talked a lot about wrath. Um, There's... They're standing beside the sea in verse 2, right? I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Standing by the sea, those would be victorious over the beast. Um, Some translations say beside the sea. Some say they're standing on the sea. But these people that have been killed are beside this sea of glass, which we saw earlier in Revelation in the throne room of God. Sea of glass, only this time there's fire coming out of it. What do you think the fire means? Fire. There wasn't fire before. Why is there fire now? I think there's two possible explanations. And here's one of those, you got leeway, you know. The fire is either the fact that, remember the, remember the connection to Exodus 15, the Red Sea? Do you think the sea of glass is a picture of their Red Sea? And they pass through the fiery fires of the judgment on earth? And now they're beyond it? In fact, they're above it? They're victorious over it? Or... Could the fire be, second idea, could the fire be the fire that's about to be unleashed on the earth when the bowls are poured out? I I think either way, it's a powerful picture. I lean towards option one, 
that the Red Sea example is, is kind of the idea. We're standing by the sea. We pass through the fire. We are victorious over it. It's a powerful image. Powerful image. And so they worship. Now, secondly, why, why can we praise God for his judgments? Why can we praise God for his judgments? How does that work? Uh, secondly, God's judgments are righteous. They're righteous. Now look at the song again. The song says, you are just. Uh, that, uh, that's the word righteous. It, righteous means just. And then at the very end, um, where am I at? I jumped in the wrong verse. Just and true are your ways. That's what I wanted to say. We're in verse 3. Uh, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just or righteous and true are your ways. It's the same word just is the word in verse 4. Your righteous acts have been revealed. He uses the word twice. Only the first time it's translated just, the second time it's translated righteous. Your righteous acts have been revealed. Righteous means correct. It means appropriate, proper, the right thing to do. That's righteous. It's right. As a kid, I guess the way I always tried to remember righteous was the first word the first word in righteous there is just right. Pretty easy to remember what it means. Everything God does is right. It's righteous. It's correct. It's just. Um, so this is another one of those ones where you, I think believers were going to wrestle a little bit because um, what we're saying is God is appropriately judging the earth in what we're going to read next week, chapter 16. These are appropriate judgments. They are righteous judgments for the earth. That's a hard thing to even say. But because I know God is doing it, I know that it's right. I don't say it with a smile on my face. I have to say it with seriousness. They're right. They're the right judgments to make. And what you see are these saints praising God for the judgment he's about to unleash. They're praising God because he does everything correct. All of his deeds are right. Now you think about that. If I just putting myself in the shoes of these people that are praising God. I just lost my head to the Antichrist. My family might have been persecuted and they might have lost their lives too. And the first thing I do when I get to heaven is praise God because everything he does is right. I, I don't I don't see any like God, why'd you make us go through that? What why'd you put us through that terrible time? What what, what you see is God, everything is right. They're victorious. I mean, we talked about them doing two things, right? They had the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But what did they praise God for when they get to heaven? They only focus on what God has done, not what they have done. Anybody uh, like the San Antonio Spurs? They won the championship this year. You, you, you could say, it's okay. You're wearing the Buck shirt. That's just wrong. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I was hoping they would win this year too. I did. I mean, the Heat won last year. They won other years. So, goodness. The Spurs are due for it, right? Um, where's Dave Ogren? Is he here? That's for you, Dave. He's always over here. You're not here, Dave. Man. All right. I'll tell him tomorrow. Uh, San Antonio Spurs win the NBA World Championship. Tim Duncan, the guy is a giant, you know, and he's, he's celebrating. Confetti's flying. How do you celebrate NBA championships? Well, you have a parade, namely a parade where 100,000 people show up 
and you're going through the streets and you celebrate. Sometimes you get invited to the White House, right? See the president. You won. I don't get to see the president for anything, right? <laughs> but these guys, they, they did it. They get to celebrate. Pop open the champagne. Let's party. They did it. They did it. And I think if you're, if you're a tribulation saint, that ought to be you, right? I mean, this ought to be you in heaven. Let the confetti fly. I kept to the testimony. I overcame by the word of my testimony. I did it. But that's not what they're singing about. That's not what they're singing about. The confetti is not flying for them. They're only thinking, praise God, everything he does is righteous. He was righteous when we went through that terrible time. And he's righteous now that he's going to judge the people on earth. He's always doing the right thing. Connection to worship today. Um, sometimes, when it comes to worship, we can get so caught up in what sounds right to us and not what sounds right to God. Does the guitar sound right? Does the piano sound right? Does the singer sound right? Oh my goodness, she's off key. Does she know how wrong she sounds? Do you know I hate that song? It sounds so wrong to me. Oh, they picked my favorite song. That was so right. So right that they picked that song. But have we looked for the right heart that honors God above whatever we have done? Whether it was good up here or whether it didn't sound so good. God's righteous. It's about a heart that's worshiping Him in the right way. Totally focused on Him. And so I get distracted. I know, I'm as human as anybody else here, and there's weeks where I say, I love that, and weeks I say, I didn't like that so much. Can we never do that song? I love that song. We do that every single Sunday until people start to like it like I do. You know, ah, you know, right? This is humanity right here, you know? We tend to be selfish, and we want to get it right. And our version of right is typically focused on what we want. And yet I see tribulation saints that just died, that ought to be having a parade and celebrated. You held to your testimony, high fives all around, but the only thing they can think to sing is how right God is. And wouldn't you love to come to church and just say, the only thing I want to do today is proclaim how right God is. Oh, that's all I want to do. And I know I fall so short of that so often in my own heart. But that's where I know the standard is. These saints are setting the standard for us. I said to Christy this morning, maybe worship's going to sound terrible today to make my point. But she didn't think that was funny. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah. God's judgments are righteous. Thirdly, thirdly, um, God's judgments are glorious. We're heading to the end here. God's judgments are glorious. So the last thing he sees, he says in verse 5, I looked into heaven, the temple that is, the tabernacle of the testimony was open. Out of the temple came several angels with seven plagues, not several, seven angels with seven plagues. They were dressed in clean shining linen, which speaks of their purity or holiness. 
They wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures, we saw them in Revelation 4 and 5, by the way, they gave the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. I'll talk about what those bowls might have looked like next week. But I want to focus on verse 8 here. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues, the seven angels were completed. What's going on in heaven? Temple. And in the temple, you know in the Old Testament, when Israel came out of Egypt, they were led by a pillar of cloud, right? Kind of a smoky presence of God. And when Moses would meet with God, he would go to that tent, and the cloud, the pillar would come down, the smoky pillar would come down and meet with Moses. And when the people of Israel saw that pillar come down, they'd all like get out of their tents and just like bow down. Now you see that smokiness in God's temple in heaven. It's filled up. And nobody can go in there until the last seven plagues are done. Meaning, nothing is going to delay the wrath of God anymore. We're in a delayed period. I mean, I know God fights against evil even today. God is active in the world today. But he hasn't completely judged the world like he will on that day. And so I kind of think of it like, you know when God wanted to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham said, oh, if there was only 50 righteous people, would you not judge them? And God's like, if there's 50. Oh, if there's 25. What if there's 25? What if there's 15? You know, Abraham keeps like lowering the number. If there's just a few people, why would you destroy the whole city? And I read this, and the smoke of God's glory is keeping everyone out. It's like there's nobody to say anything to stop this. There's no delay. Here it comes. It's here. And you can't get back into the temple of God to worship until it's over. Nobody's getting in. God's judgments are glorious. God's glory is like the beauty of everything that he is. You could say God's glorious love, his glorious power, his glorious mercy. And this glory is filling the temple. I think it actually says glory and uh, power, right? From the glory of God and from his power. How do you visualize power? You know, you picture the muscle man, you know. Uh, the, The visual of power is this glorious smoke. And it's so thick, you can't even walk in to the temple. You couldn't if you wanted to. I've been overpowered by smoke from a campfire, for goodness sake. I can't imagine what this is. I can't imagine what this is. Everything God does brings glory to himself. He's committed to his own glory. He wants to praise himself because he is the highest being in the universe. And rightly so. If you're the greatest being in the universe, you deserve the praise. If you created the universe, you deserve the praise. If you created the universe, you have the right to judge the world. And so God's bringing himself glory here. Connection to worship. Just a simple last closing statement. Everything in worship is about God. It's all about him, not about us. It's about praising him. It's about speaking and singing about his beauty how amazing he is, how powerful he is. It always goes there. So let's go there. God's committed to his glory. We ought to be too.
Worship team, if you would come up now, we will uh, sing a closing song. Um, if, if you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, this lamb that was killed for you, Jesus came about 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, and that's how we conquer. Christians don't conquer with the sword in the hand. We conquer through Jesus. He did it for us. If you want to accept that forgiveness, we invite you to this morning to say a prayer in your own heart and get right with him and then follow him. Let's pray. God, I pray for our worship. I pray that it would be a pleasing sound to you. That we'd exalt you the way you deserve. One day we're going to experience worship like we never have before. But until that day, we want to be faithful to do it as best we can now. So help us. In Jesus' name, amen.